Well, it's the new year. Everyone have a good new year and Christmas? Okay, a few head nods. Yeah, I don't see anyone saying no, thumbs down, let's move on. This is the time of year when people will resolve to lose the weight that they gained between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's the time of year when people say, yeah, I'm going to finally read that book I always meant to, or to break that habit that's just been dogging me for years. And then it's the time of year when we will forget it two weeks from now. (laughs) It's also the time of year when football coaches are looking for work. Uh, Chip Kelly this uh, week was fired as the uh, coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was a bit of a surprise because the NFL season doesn't actually end until today. Uh, So he was so bad, I guess they thought they just needed to get rid of him now. And actually, he's not horrible. It surprised a lot of people that they got rid of him. But it's in our must-win society. People just like, they fire their coaches right away. If you're not winning, you're not meeting the expectations, that's it. You're done and gone. I feel like in football, they, they'd fire their coaches a little too soon. Sometimes if you would just kind of hang on a little bit, sometimes things turn around. Take Kirk Ferentz, for instance, coach for the Hawkeyes. You know, they had some great years earlier, and then like four or five seasons here recently where they were just kind of about 500. You know, they'd win as many as they'd lose and just kind of mediocre. And last year, I remember hearing so many people arguing, fire Kirk. Yeah, he had a huge buyout in his contract, but they're like, it's worth it. The guy can't coach us. He's never going to get us to a championship or a Rose Bowl or anything. And then 2015 happened. And he led the team to become 12-0. and And in the Big Ten championship game, they lost in the last 30 seconds when Michigan State scored the touchdown to take a three-point lead. They had a phenomenal season. And suddenly my Facebook feed was silent about firing Kirk. I mean, people were really kind of happy. Until Friday, when on New Year's Day, as most of you know, Iowa got schlacked by Stanford, got beaten every facet of the game. It was really kind of embarrassing. And many people got on and said, hey, Hawkeyes, thanks for a great season. I'm proud of you. But of course, I had one Facebook friend that said, they had a month to get ready for this game, and they played the worst game of the whole year. The whole coaching staff needs fired. It's a must-win game. Now, imagine, though, if Kirk and his, his uh, I guess you could say coaches, if they uh, only brought one, two, three wins every season, and this went on four, five, six seasons, now you'd begin to understand people saying, we need to fire our coaches. Like, you can't expect that we've had six straight seasons of only two wins per year, What makes you think year seven is going to be the magic one where suddenly it's going to turn all around? Because to keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, is the definition of insanity. And so if you want to see different results out of your football team, sometimes it takes a change in leadership. But when it comes to our own lives, we kind of do the insanity thing more than the change thing. We know that we need to lose about 10, 15 pounds, and yet we don't change what we eat, we don't change our portion size, we don't change our exercise routine, and yet somehow we expect different results. Or you realize, I am not getting enough sleep. I need to get eight hours of sleep every night, and yet you continue in the pattern of binge-watching Netflix until midnight, and then you're having to run on coffee the next day. Or you find yourself saying, okay, I'm spending way too much time on social media. I just got to stop. 
But then the alarm goes off on your phone, you pull it over, and the first thing you do is you open up Facebook and you start scrolling through. We keep doing the same thing over and over, but yet we want different results. That's what this whole new you series is about. And it isn't just about finally reading that book or losing some weight. It's about how do you begin to put in the change in habits to help you grow spiritually? Because I believe that God has a dream for each of you of where he sees you to be, where he wants you to be. And I believe that if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you and it's calling you to go deeper as well, that you desire to have that kind of life. But we continue to get stuck in the everyday We get caught up in the mundane. And what happens is we want to see ourselves here spiritually, but we're stuck back here. And sometimes what we need is something to just kind of poke us, to prod us, and to get us out of this pattern so we can begin to see results that we want and that I believe God wants. Now, before we jump into the scripture today, I'm going to confess, I have an agenda. But it's not a very hidden agenda. The, river, the mission of Riverwood is to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. That's our goal as a church family. We want to go and be a blessing. And I think the greatest blessing we can bring the world is the gospel. To let people know what Jesus did for them upon a cross and invite them to surrender their lives to him and follow him. Now, there's a slight problem with that. You see, there's 10,000 people in Waverly. And studies show that there's about 30 to 35% of people go to church, all right? But you know what? For the sake of argument, let's just bump that up. Let's say that 50% of Waverly goes to church. Now, I believe that many people in Waverly that go to church may not necessarily really know the gospel story. I mean, they, they go most Sundays. I mean, Sean this morning was telling me his own story. Go, grew up going to church, but had never had the connection made that this whole thing about God and Jesus and the cross— was for him personally. So he'd done church for years. It wasn't until later that suddenly the light bulb went on. Who knows how many people are going to church? But for the sake of argument, let's say that of the you know, 50% of Waverly going to church, they have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus. That means there's 5,000 people not part of a church, not connected to Jesus. They're the spiritually disconnected. And this doesn't even begin to count the people in Janesville or Shell Rock or Plainfield or Denver or other surrounding areas and the people that might be spiritually disconnected there too. And the problem with that is that I alone am unable to reach them all. Can't do it. As much as I want to, desire to, it won't happen. But what I can do is seek to influence you to help you find and follow Jesus. Because I believe that if I can help you have the spiritual life that God wants for you and you want for yourself, then as you seek to follow him, then out of the overflow of your life, you're going to go out there and be a blessing to your neighborhood, to your coworkers, to your family, to your extended family. And as you are that blessing, you will inevitably help people find and follow Jesus. And you then help Riverwood accomplish our mission. That's my agenda. That's my goal. Now, there is an obstacle in all of this. And the obstacle is me. 
the obstacle is also you. Because as much as we say we need to find and follow Jesus, there are all these other bad leaders, is what I'm calling them today, that are constantly calling to us, saying, hey, follow me. If you follow me, I will make you happy. I will give you peace. You'll have joy like you wouldn't believe. So follow me. And what happens is we begin to follow those bad leaders, and it pulls us away from the ultimate leader, Jesus. What happens is we end up following these bad leaders when we don't live a Jesus-centered life. We live a Jesus-sprinkled life. We just kind of add a dash of Jesus on it. Like, oh, I'll go to church, maybe say a prayer here and there, but otherwise your life is pretty much get up in the morning, have your coffee, head off to work, do the work thing, come home, eat some supper— Watch some TV, put the kids to bed, and put it on repeat. And maybe somewhere in there you work in a prayer or two. But Jesus is just kind of sprinkled in. But what God is calling you to do, as you saw in the video, was Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And so rather than you going about your daily life pursuing the American dream, you should really be going through life seeking out a God-sized dream. And it's not you just kind of inviting Jesus into your workplace. It's you going in because Jesus is already in your workplace, and you're going in to be an impact and to be a blessing to everyone you interact with. That's why today, through this New Year series, I'm going to be calling you out of this Jesus-sprinkled life into the Jesus-centered life, where you are immersed in this and completely surrendered to Christ, where he impacts every single area of your life. And it impacts your family, it impacts your work, it impacts your neighborhood, it impacts all your relationships, and it impacts you. That's what this new you series is about. I have an agenda. I want to see you find and follow Jesus, to be awakened inside, so that you can then have the joy of seeing God do something great in you, as he then also does something great through you. That's why I believe 2016 could be your greatest year. But that's why today we have to talk about these bad leaders. Because these bad leaders are trying to get us off course. We're going to actually look at four different bad leaders. And we're going to see three different ways that people respond to these bad leaders. But ultimately, I've already made it known, I'm going to be asking you to follow the ultimate leader, Jesus. To make him the center of your life, your complete identity. And how you can go about doing that, no matter where you are at in your spiritual journey. If you're here and you aren't a follower of Jesus yet... I'm glad you're here. You're going to hear what it means to follow him. If you're brand new in a relationship with Jesus, I'm glad you're here because you're going to hear the basic tools that are going to help you go deeper in this relationship. And if you've been following Jesus for years, you're going to hear the same thing that's going to help you continue to go deeper with him and to make an impact. To to do this today, we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. So if you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, open it up to Mark 5. And in Mark 5, we're going to look at the first 20 verses, and we're going to look at a remarkable story where we're going to see a gentleman move from following a really horrible bad leader to following the greatest leader he possibly could. At the same time, we're going to see a different group of people who have the same opportunity to make the greatest leader the leader of their lives, but they aren't. They're actually going to reject him and do nothing. And as we look at this, we're going to see just these simple things that you and I can do to make Jesus the greatest leader, the center of our life, and not make the same mistake that the group of people do. So let's pray as we head into this. Father, as we get into uh, your, your scriptures today, may you be the ultimate teacher. May you speak to hearts and minds. Lord, 
these are your people. You know not just their names. You know their stories. You know their past. You know their present. You know their future. You know the, the worries and fears that they face right now. You know the things they're celebrating, the things that are bringing them joy. You know each and every person here intimately. So God, that's why I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak to minds and hearts, that, that as I say what I feel you want me to say, that you would take it and move it through a Holy Spirit filter so that your people hear what you want them to hear and that they would then find and follow Jesus themselves. And so Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning. Help us to make Jesus our only leader. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, so Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. Now, it's kind of a longer section, and often when someone reads, especially from the Bible, a big section like this, it can get kind of boring. So I'm going to do my best to make it as interesting as I can, but what I'm going to encourage you is if you find yourself starting to drift, thinking about the football game this afternoon, oh, I didn't get that done, oh, I need to do that when I get home, just come back and stick in here because I think God has something for you, all right? So let's get into this remarkable story. Mark 5, starting at verse 1. They, the they here is Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he, the man, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he, Jesus, gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and were drowned in the sea. Well, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, obviously in this story, someone who sticks out besides Jesus, it's this man with the demon. If you've been around uh, church life for, for very long, you might know this guy as the Gerasene demoniac. 
Well, that seemed like a lot to say today, and I also didn't want to keep referring to him as the guy with the demon. So I decided to give him a name today. We're just going to call him Jerry. I apologize if any of you are named Jerry or have an Uncle Jerry, but this guy is just Jerry. Right? Jerry, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that he has been possessed by a demon. Now, how many of you have ever interacted with someone possessed by a demon? Okay, that's kind of what I suspected. I don't see any hands going up. All right, most of us would say, mm, yeah, no, this is not a common occurrence in our life. In fact, we live in a day and an age where we probably even begin to think, I don't know that demons really exist. You know, you kind of wash it away. Because some of the things that the ancient world probably called uh, demon possession, we actually now have some like science and research that helps us understand that, yeah, that probably wasn't demon possession. For instance, someone with epilepsy. They went to an epileptic seizure, and in the ancient world, they probably freak out and think, oh, they're having a, a, you know, a demon is is attacking them. But yet, nowadays, we look at it and go, well, no, it's physical. They're they're having an epileptic seizure. So some of these demon possessions, we've been able to explain away. And so what happens is we've come to a place where we kind of don't think much about demons. Like, maybe they don't even exist. But here we have Jesus interacting with a guy who has a demon. And Jesus is actually not talking to the guy like he's a guy. He's talking to him, and he's actually talking to the demon. And so that means that if Jesus believes demons exist, that means demons exist. And so we have the spiritual realm that we can't see. It's filled with angels. It's filled with demons. And just because we can't see them doesn't mean they aren't there. Now, I don't want you to end up getting caught up into one of a couple of extremes with demons. One extreme is to kind of give them credit for everything. All right? It's it's the thing like, you know, the demon behind every bush. You know, you blame them for everything. You know, something bad goes happen. Oh, a demon caused it. All right? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but kids that are in school, you probably got an F not because of a demon. It probably was because you didn't study. All right? You get fired from your job. It may not be because of your demon-possessed boss. It probably was because you hung out of the water cooler too much and surfed the web and didn't do your work, right? Sometimes we try to give credit to demons where maybe they shouldn't be getting any credit. But on the other side of this is this idea of just absolute fear, being petrified of them. If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, the scripture says that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the God, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So therefore, you are, in a sense, protected from demons. Paul says in the book of Romans that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. So if you proclaim to follow Jesus, your faith is in him and upon the cross, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing a demon can do to you. You can't be possessed by one, right? The Holy Spirit is so much more powerful. So I don't want you giving the demons too much credit. I also don't want you living in extreme fear of them. But I also don't want you living like... There's no such thing. Because there is. There is a demonic world, and they are affecting and influencing things. And we see that here in the story. Jerry is possessed by these demons. And not just possessed, he's controlled by them. He does anything and everything that they want him to do. He's up in the mountains. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's terrorizing people. He's picking up stones and cutting himself. People are trying to like subdue him. Maybe they want to kill him or get rid of him or just chain him up so that they know where he's at and contained and they can't. I mean, he's got supernatural strength. These demons are in control. He's being controlled by a bad leader. 
As I said earlier, I think all of us are influenced by bad leaders. Now, I'm not saying that every bad leader is a demon, all right? Some of you, you're influenced by bad leaders, and it's not because it's a demon. But I, just off the top of my head, I thought of four different bad leaders that I've seen people wrestle with and things that I've wrestled with. The, the first one is addiction. If you've ever struggled with an addiction, or even currently struggle with an addiction, then you might be able to identify with Jerry. Jerry did not decide to cut himself with stones or run around naked through the mountains scaring everyone. He seemed to just be under their control. If you've struggled with an addiction, you know the sense and the feeling that suddenly you hear this almost like whisper in your head, do it. And you just, no, 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 I can't, I, I shouldn't. But yet the pull is so great that, oh, you finally just give in and you're cracking open another drink. You're placing down yet another bet. You're lighting up something that you know you shouldn't, but you just can't stop. You're getting on the web and you're searching for things that you know you shouldn't be looking at. You just can't stop. This addiction seems to have control. It's like a leader and you're giving your attention, you're giving your money because it demands it of you. It's your leader. It's a bad leader. Another bad leader I thought of was relationships. It could be a controlling mom. It could be a, a boss who treats you like a slave. It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend that, that seems to want to control you. And, and we get into these relationships because God's wired us for relationship. Relationships are a good thing. It's a place that we find love. It's a place we find meaning. It's a place that we can serve others. But sometimes those relationships turn bad. And then they sort of become like a bad leader. Because for the sake of the relationship, we just do what mom says, even though it's not the healthiest thing. We, we give in to the boyfriend or girlfriend because we just we want to be loved. And we end up caught up in something really unhealthy. And that's a bad leader. Another bad leader I thought of was our interests. These are your hobbies. It, it could be your job. It could be a, a sport or a sports team. Uh, it could be a TV series or maybe a possession like your new car or something. It, it's something that begins to capture your attention. Now, a lot of these things, they're good. They're fine. But when you begin to take these good things and start to make them ultimate things, that's when it becomes a bad thing. When it begins to demand all of your time, all of your attention, all of your thought, all of your money, now it's gone from just being an interest to an obsession. And now it seems to be in control of you. And here's the thing about these first three that I thought of. They promise you all sorts of things happiness, joy, if you just have yet another drink, if you just find that relationship, if you just will, will give your money to this, then you'll be happy. The problem is, because they're bad leaders, they always lead us to disconnection. They will lead us to be disconnected from God, to being disconnected from family, to close loved ones. They even will lead us to a disconnection within ourselves. And that's where I think the fourth one is the most difficult one to overcome. And that is the bad leadership of self. Because I've known people who've overcome addiction. I know people who have uh, escaped bad relationships. I know people who've also had an obsession, but able to move away from it. But the problem with this fourth one is that you are never away from yourself. Now, there are two sides to the self-leadership. There is a good side, a positive side, Right? This is the side of, that says, all right, it's time to get up out of bed and head to the gym. All right? This is the side that says, all right, that's enough. You don't have to have a second piece of dessert. That was good. 
right? There is a positive side to self-leadership, but there's also a self-defeating side to it. There's also the self-leadership that says, ah, just stay in bed a little longer. Ah, just one more episode. Ah, you can have the, the second piece. That'll make you happy. The problem with both the positive side and the self-defeating side is that they both seem to promise us that happiness and joy. If you just get yourself up and go to the gym and get in shape, now you'll look good, everyone will like you, that's what really matters. And the self-defeating side, man, don't get up and go to the gym. You hate, I mean, it's so hard work to, you know, get on the treadmill and that. Nah, just stay in bed, you'll be more comfortable. Do you see on both of them? They're both focused on self. But I believe the best leadership for you is Jesus. When people face these bad leaders, there's usually one of three things that they do. The first thing is they do nothing. That's what we saw there in Mark 5. I mean, when the townsfolk show up there in, what is it, verse uh, 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, they were afraid, right? Rather than walking in, Looking at this guy that used to roam around the mountains, cutting himself with stones, terrorizing everyone, now being sane, and sitting there thinking, whoa, it's a miracle. How'd you do that? Because we tried to chain the guy up. We couldn't do it. How did you subdue him? It's a miracle. Tell us who you are, Jesus. But no, they're afraid. They're upset because they lost their income out of the 2,000 pigs. And as those 2,000 hogs rushed in, they now lost their economy. And so they would rather have the crazy guy running around among the tombs in the mountains, scaring all of them and making the horror stories for the little kids, than to have that guy be healed, made whole, and to lose their income. They'd rather keep the bad leader of their money-driven society than to see this guy made whole and healthy. And so they do nothing. It's like the wife who has a husband who's a workaholic. And she hates that he's always gone. And yet, she's scared of what it would look like if he changed his work schedule. Because what would he do with that time? Would he actually give it to the family? Or would it just be poured into a sport or into to hunting? Or, or would he get, take on a different addiction? And so it's actually just easier to keep things the way they are. Rather than work and try to help a new leader be found. And so you just keep it. Because at least I know what this looks like. I don't like it. But hey, I want different results, but I'd rather just keep it the same. And they don't make any change, and then they just stay in the insanity. So the first thing people do when they face a bad leader is they do nothing. Some people, though, finally get fed up with it. And they exchange the bad leader for another bad leader. It's the person who exchanges the addiction for just another addiction. I had someone tell me that if you go to an AA meeting... You find all these guys struggling with alcohol, and they're trying to end it. And so what they do is they exchange their alcohol for nicotine, and they just pick up a different addiction. You know, the good thing is they can't drive, you know, uh, drunk on nicotine. And so to them, that's safer. They just exchange one addiction for another. Or I've known people who've escaped from one bad relationship just to get into another bad relationship. We can make the mistake of switching from one bad leader to another bad leader. And then... There are those people who actually move from one bad leader to a better leader. It's like the person who is honest enough to admit, my self-leadership is not causing me to get in shape. 
My, myself has been telling me to stay in bed, to keep eating. I'm not getting to where I want to, so I've got to make a change. So they hire a personal trainer. They get a new leader, a better leader. And that personal trainer now gets them on an eating program, gets them on a workout program, and they begin to get the results they want. And that's a good thing, all right? So if some of you need to take a step like that, I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to cheer you on. But if the reason for getting in shape is just simply so that you're happier, so that you look better, if it's just all about you and your glory, it's probably not the best. It's better than what you've been in, but it's not the best leader you could follow. But instead, if you find the personal trainer and begin to eat right and take care of your body and doing what you feel is right so that you can now live the quality of life that you're now around and available to your family more so that you have more energy to devote to those who are important to you so that you are in better shape so that you now can focus on taking care of others and not just taking care of yourself. If you're doing this to bring glory to God, that's the best. That's what you go for. So these are the responses that people make. But ultimately, what I want you to do is make the response of not just switching for a better leader, but to switch for the best leader. And that's what we see Jerry do. In verse 18, realize Jerry didn't make this decision himself. This is purely out of Jesus' decision, purely out of Jesus' mercy. Right? He did not rush up to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm tormented by demons. Cast him out. No, the demons were in control. Jesus is like, all right, out of him. And that's where, and this is the part I don't understand. Jesus has mercy on these demons. And they're like, no, don't cast us out of the country. Just send us into the pigs. She's like, all right, into the pigs. And so they do. But now Jerry's free. We have no idea how long Jerry had been tormented by the legion. It it could have been years. And now he's finally sane. What do you think your response would be? Notice Jerry's, verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man, Jerry, who'd been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. Jesus is there with his disciples. When they show up in the boat, it's not just Jesus getting out. It's Peter and John and James and all of his guys. And so naturally, Jerry sees us like, let me join you. Let me be with you because you just freed me from this torment. Who knows what Jerry went through? Was he cognizant? Was he aware? Could he feel the pain when he's being cut? Did he know that he's running around naked, screaming, terrorizing little kids? Could he see it and and just feel horrible? Or was he not even aware? Was it like Jerry just was missing and the demons had completely taken over? And now suddenly, boom, they're gone. And he's back in his right mind. It's just like, what happened? Could you imagine the flood of peace, of joy, of happiness? And it's all because of this man You bet you'd want to get in the boat with him. You'd give your whole life to follow this guy. You would, man, you love this guy tremendously because what he did for you. Notice what Jesus says, verse 19. And he, Jesus, did not permit Jerry, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, I don't think Jerry's in sandals at this point. They probably just found some cloak, put it on him to hide his his nakedness. And he's got no sandals, so I can't say put yourself in his sandals. But put yourself in his position. You just had your life radically changed by this Jesus. You want nothing more than to go with him. And he says no. Can you imagine his disappointment? And then, not only that, 
No, 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 sorry, Jerry. You, you can't come with me. But I, I got a different assignment for you. I want you to go home. And I want you to publicly tell everyone what I did for you. Now, if that was most of us, I, I can just imagine what the response would be. Uh, no, but Jesus, um, I haven't been to seminary yet. How do you expect me to go and do that? Like, I, I barely know you. I've only got to sit here for like an hour having this conversation with you. How? No, I, I need some time with you. Like, I'm not a good public speaker. God, you want me to like pray in public? No, no, I don't know all the fancy words. No, Jesus, I just need some time with you. Don't send me home. And so we try to justify and, and take, here's what Jesus is saying we do, but not. Nah, no, God, I, I think I've got a slightly better plan. I, I need to hop in the boat and go with you. But that's not what Jerry does. Notice verse 20. And he, Jerry, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That was these 10 cities that was on the other side of the Jordan River from where most of Israel was. And so he goes home to the Decapolis and he tells them how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus tells him, no, you can't get in the boat. Instead, here's your assignment. Go home, tell them about me. And Jerry does it. He doesn't give excuses of not having enough education, of not knowing the Bible enough, of not knowing the big fancy seminary words. He just goes and does what Jesus says. Immediate obedience. That right there reveals to us that Jerry had completely made Jesus the leader of his life because he obeyed. And I want to be so surrendered to Jesus that when my leader says, go and do this, I will do it. I'm not there yet. I'm getting closer. I want to be. But I've shared the story. When Jesus said, Aaron, I want you to go to Kansas City to be part of this church to learn about church planning, I said no. I did not immediately obey. And even then, it still took weeks for me to finally come to this complete place of, yes, we'll do this. And then it still took us another two years to finally step off staff. I was slow. So I'm not going to get mad at you if you're also slow. But we can't stay in our slowness. Because to truly follow Jesus isn't just to know things about him. It's to be completely surrendered to him and to do whatever it is he calls us to do. But how do you get there? I want to just give you three simple things. The first thing is to talk to him. You notice that when the townspeople come back and they see Jesus and Jerry, they're just sitting there together. They're having a conversation. Now, we have no idea how far the town was that was nearby. But I would imagine that it probably takes 10, 15 minutes for these guys to rush in. Because they're, they're walking. They're running. They, they can't just jump on their horse. They can't just jump in their car. And so they, they rush back to the city. And it also says in the countryside. So I would imagine Jesus and Jerry have about a half an hour, maybe an hour conversation. Who knows? Maybe it was two hours. And Jerry's sitting there talking with Jesus. I'd imagine he'd be like thanking Jesus for what he did just profusely. He'd probably be telling him, here's what my experience was like. And you freed me from this. Maybe Jerry's asking him questions. I don't know what was going on, but they were talking. You may not have been freed from a demon, but if you follow Jesus, you have been freed of your sin. And you now have the opportunity to come into the throne room of God to sit at his feet and to tell him, thank you for what you did for me. You have this opportunity to tell him, here's my experience, here's what's going on, here are the things that are weighing on my heart and soul, and I'm giving this to you. 
And you don't have to have some seminary degree in order to talk to God. In fact, God is completely unimpressed with big, fancy words. He'd rather you say it in a stilted, awkward, raw way where you're being real in you than to say it in some really fancy, poetical way that's just like, whoa. Because God's not going to say whoa to your prayers. He wants you. So just come in and talk to him. Pray. Now, you're going to have to put together a plan. Because if you haven't been in a pattern of prayer, you can't leave here today saying, all right, I want different results. I want to have this great prayer life and not have any plan. Well, guess what? You're just going to slip back into old patterns. So you got to put together some sort of plan. All right? It could be setting a watch. I, I went through a few months uh, a few years ago where I had my watch count down every hour to remind me to pray. So if I was sitting with someone having lunch or doing a counseling session and my alarm went off in the middle of it, I just would turn it off, reset it, set for another hour, and it was just a reminder. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for this situation right now? I could just be checking email, and it goes off. And so I just would be a reminder to pray because it tells us in Second Thessalonians to pray continually. So I just needed the reminder. Maybe you need to go and read a book on prayer. There's now an app for both iPhone and Android called Echo. And it, you can catalog prayer requests. Maybe set an alarm to once a day, open that up and spend just 10 minutes going through a prayer list. Put together a plan to talk to God. Because the more you talk to him, the more you're going to have your trust built upon him. And as you trust him, you bet when your God says, here's what I want you to do, you'll do it because you trust him. So talk to God. Second thing I think you should do is also to listen to God. I imagine that if Jerry and Jesus had that hour sitting there, not only was Jerry talking to him, but maybe he's asking him questions, and Jesus begins to teach him. And, and so they have this one-hour seminary class where Jesus is just like, here's who I am, here's what I'm about, and he helps him in that moment. He's teaching him, and Jerry's sitting there listening to Jesus. I believe that God still speaks today. Maybe as you spend some time in prayer, you will sense God saying, here's what I want you to do. There have been numerous times when I've been here on a Sunday morning and, and our guest worship leaders are leading us in song, and all of a sudden I just sense God saying something to me. Today, it was as we sang the very first song, Come Thou Fount. And that third verse says, prone to wander. And I just suddenly found myself realizing, man, that's what I'm talking about in my message. Just prone to follow these bad leaders, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, so here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. There was that moment I felt God speaking to me, saying, Aaron, you're mine. Just continue to follow me. Continue to trust me. But the most effective place that I think God speaks to us, I shouldn't say effective, probably the most common place that God speaks to us is through his scriptures. He's already written us an entire library of 66 books so why aren't we taking the time to sit down and read it? And not just read it so we can gain a bunch of head knowledge, not just read it so we can check something off on a to-do list, but to read it so that we can hear from God, to understand what was it that he said to his original audience and what truth did he embed there that still is applicable to my life today. So get in there and listen to God in the scriptures. Now, like prayer, you got to put together a plan. It's not just going to happen. That's why uh, last week I rolled them out and they're back here today. We've got two different reading plans on the back table. One's very regimented. And if you stick with it, you will, if you begin today, one year from now, you will have read through the entire Bible. All right? It's basically three chapters a day, but 
it kind of breaks it up into different sections so that you, you, you're not just walking through different books. Right? So it, it's very regimented, but it's going to help some of you read through the whole Bible in a year. Some of you, you need something a little more flexible. And so there's one back there that's just nothing but a chart of all the chapters of the Bible. And you can just X off each little box as you read a chapter. That way you know what you've read and what you haven't. And you might be able to read the Bible in less than a year. Maybe it'll take you a little longer than a year. But now you'll know, hey, I've read that before. What else haven't I read? Where can I go? On our website, weareriverwood.org, go to the resources tab. It'll, it'll drop down menu. You'll see freebies. You go to freebies, and there you'll find a couple more reading plans, some previous bookmarks. All right, one will walk you through the New Testament in 90 days, and another one just kind of gives you an overview of the New Testament in one month, 28 days. Right? If you don't like any of those, go to youversion.com or pull up the Bible app on your phone and start looking at the reading plans there. The point is get into the scriptures. Don't make an excuse. Don't let the self-defeating self say, ah, you don't need that. You'll be more comfortable here. If you want to have a deep spiritual walk with Jesus, then you got to do the things now. So put the plan in place. Talk to Jesus, but also listen to him. But then the last thing is to be like Nike. Just do it. When you're praying to God, and you sense him saying, hey, I want you to go and do this for your neighbor. Don't justify, ah, that, that's just me talking. Uh, no, no, they'll think I'm weird. I, I can't afford that. No. If you sense God saying, here's what I want you to do for them, then go and do it. No matter how crazy it seems. Because if it is your Lord saying, here's what I want you to do, then you need to be like Jerry and do it. If you read the scriptures and suddenly as you read in there, all of a sudden you come to something and it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, but it says, here's what I want you to do, then do it. So if you read a passage on baptism, and suddenly you realize, I follow Jesus and I've never been baptized, I should be baptized. Do it. You're reading along, 2 Corinthians 9, all of a sudden Paul's talking about giving cheerfully, sacrificially. Don't justify saying, ah, you know, but I don't have the budget for it, you know. No, you follow Jesus, you want to have complete surrender to his leadership, then you do it. And you just start somewhere, but you do it sacrificially, cheerfully. And why? Because your leader says to do it. Just do it. Don't make excuses. Don't find outlets. If you want to have Jesus have rule and reign over every aspect of your life, it means you just got to completely surrender and say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. It's hard. It's difficult. Because that part of yourself is sitting there saying, no, that's not going to give you joy. That's not going to give you peace. That's too much work. That's too hard. That's too slow. I want it now. But if you stick with it, you will see God do something remarkable in you and through you. And that's why I believe that 2016 could be your greatest year ever. If you will begin to put in the habits of just talking to Jesus of listening to him, and then when he says to go, you just do it. You go. Because as you do those three things, God continues to mold you and shape you into the image of your leader, into the image of Jesus, and that's how he makes the new you. And so, Father, I pray that you would do this for your glory and for our joy, that you would make us into the new you, that we would be found in Christ. Lord, many people here know you, they love you, they, they, they're following you, and, and this world is just constantly pulling us to follow these bad leaders. 
And so today, we just say we want to completely surrender. You are our God. You, you saved us from our sin. You've, you've brought us into this relationship with you. And so God, help us to yet again surrender and make you the absolute leader of every area of our life. God, I pray for anyone here that, that's struggling to let you in a certain area, that whether it be because they're struggling with an addiction or, or they're uh, just struggling with, um, uh, I, I guess, discipline. Uh, Lord, would you speak into that area? Would you, would you be the prod to get them going, the motivation to move? But then through your Holy Spirit, also give them the ability and will to keep at it. So Lord, I, I pray that you just help us in this. I, I also pray for anyone that's here today that does not have a relationship with you. And today is, is this first Sunday in 2016, they're sensing your Holy Spirit saying, follow me. And today they want to give their life to you. Lord, would you just right now draw them close, help them to see the cross for what it is, that they would confess their sin and say that they're putting their full life and identity upon Jesus. And that today they begin this new relationship, that they move from being dead in their sins to being alive in Christ. And it would radically change this entire year for them. But then for each of us, God, help us to be disciplined, to talk to you, to pray, to, to listen to you, to get into the scriptures. But, but ultimately, Lord, it doesn't matter how much we know or how much we can say to you. It ultimately is how quick are we to obey? God, help me, help my church family to be the type of people that are willing to say yes. And we don't make excuses saying we don't have enough education or we don't have enough experience or we just don't have what's needed. Because if you're calling us to it, you obviously believe that we can do it because you'll be with us. You will empower us. So God, help us to have complete trust of you. And that's what would allow us to surrender to you and let you lead us in all areas of life. So God, do this, please. Do it for your glory. Do it for our joy and do it so that we can be a blessing. I ask for this in your son's name and our leader. Amen.